Welcome to Lead by Women Will, a Google podcast initiative created to inspire and empower women as we rise in our careers. I'm your host, Loranda Martin-Evans. Today, my guest is Kip Hollister. Kip opened Hollister Staffing 30 years ago and has grown the company into one of Boston's largest recruiting firms. A certified leadership coach, Kip's passion to create a business culture that thrives led to the launch of the Hollister Institute, which, among other things, builds energized work environments. Welcome, Kip. Thank you. Thank you. It's great to be here. I am so excited to have you on the program today, so thank you for taking the time. I would love to start with, could you tell us, Kip, about yourself and Hollister Staffing and how you came to create this business, the the Hollister Institute? I'm, I'm just dying to know how you did it. I'd love to share, and I, I, I have to say it's just so funny to me that we are in our 30th year because I feel as if I'm only 30 years old. I, yes, um, I lie about so, that all the time myself. <laughs> yes, yes. So it was it, way back in, golly, you know, 1988, 89, when I set out to open my own doors at the age of 26. I wanted to attract like-minded individuals, being in relationships and not running a transactional company. I wanted to grow culture. Culture mattered to me a lot from the get-go because I had been in other organizations where it was lost on culture. Mm -hmm. And so that led to really the growth of the staffing side. And if you can imagine, I didn't know what I didn't know. So I did a ton of introspective work all throughout. I, I, I like to say that my employees are the ones that trained me. And lived through three recessions. It was in the second recession that I started to panic a bit and really had a breakdown. We nearly went bankrupt. I was getting a home equity line to support not only all of my employees, but also my family. I have four children. And I was really stressed out. And got through that by efforting my way through. It was, I was, I'd lost myself. I'd lost my way. Some of my passion I even lost. And then this last recession is when I had this big wake up call that I am not going to lead my organization this way ever again. And I'm not going to effort. If I have to effort my way through this recession, I will close the doors and that's when I, I returned to a practice that I'd known my whole life, which was meditation, but I'd lost my way throughout this stress. And I went and I got trained in meditation. I did a lot of seminars and retreats, and I decided to bring that back into my company, into my staffing company, because I really wanted people to be lit up at work. And I wanted people to lead from the inside out and to not have their identity so closely attached to what they did for a living, which is what was happening with me. Mm -hmm. And so that led to the birth of what you just asked was the Hollister Institute, which really is about helping individuals and teams live in their full potential and bring mindfulness into the workspace and help Firms get that culture matters and culture trumps strategy every day because our people are our people are our lifeblood. So then how how do you say, you know, we're talking about the stress and the, you know, you talked about having four kids and you're running this company and you're working through recessions, and I can't even imagine 
putting your home up as equity, how stressful that has been. How do you work toward a work-life balance there? Or is that is that just a myth in itself? And and <laughs> what, what is your oh philosophy on that? Yeah, work-life balance is a total myth. Oh, in it fact, is. Okay. You know, I speak a lot, <laughs> and, and I just, it's, it's a fallacy. And it's so sad, right? Because I think this is a problem for us as women is that we we are trying to measure up to say, oh, we have a work-life balance. It doesn't exist. So for me, here's the trick. I mean, what I did is I, I start off by saying, what am I committed to? Okay. Once I know what I'm committed to, that is what my life is. There's only life. And then underneath life and how you look at life is work. There's relationships. There are children, there are friendships, there's spirituality, and there's all of those other buckets that constitute what life is for us. And each of us gets to decide what we're committed to. And so I debunk that myth all the time, especially with women who are so hard on themselves and they want to do it all. And, you know, for me, I mean, I was so young when I opened the company and within three years I got married and had two children. Wow. And... And so I really had to, and that is when I started meditating, by the way, because really? I, I, yes, yes, yes. I grounded myself then. My first boss taught me meditation. I cannot believe it back in 1984. And I used that to ground me. But what's funny about stress is that when we're stressed, we don't usually go to what we know will help us. We kind of live in a self-fulfilling prophecy of, I got to do it all and I got to put the weight of the world on my shoulders and I got to carry the bag and then we become martyrs. And so I think for me, bringing your whole self to life and work is partly about paying attention to who we are and what makes us tick and how we get energized by life, by work, by play, and really making sure that we fill all those buckets so that we're not void and feeling um, tired, powerless, defeated, which is what can result when you don't pay attention. So if we're not balancing, if balance is a myth, is it about being more present at work and then present with the kids? Um, Or is it about, you know, farming it out and getting people to help you? Or if if balance isn't a thing, what do we do? Right. It is, you, you said it, it's conscious choice. So for me, when I go home, my cell phone goes off. If I have calls to make on my way home, I make the calls. If I'm not finished my call, I drive around the neighborhood until I'm finished. Because I used to go in the house on the phone. And then the kids are tugging at you or you're on your email during, you know, I mean, yes. look at look at how... Are the younger generations are being raised. We are responsible for that because we're training them to not be present, to not pay attention in this present moment. And that's really all there is. And so once we're able to do that and choose what's most important. So when I'm at work, now it doesn't mean that when I'm at work, I might not take a call from one of my kids. That's one of the agreements I have with my own children is that I will always pick up your calls, but I say, I'm in a meeting. Is it urgent? Can I get back to you? And then I go back to what I'm doing. So it's whatever is most important to you for us to set our life up out of what we're committed to that the 
balance does follow, and we then have equanimity in our bodies. We just do. So you mentioned energy, and I'd love to talk about that a little bit. Can you help us understand what energy and understanding what energy means for us individually, why that's important? Oh, boy. Yes, yes, yes. Well, so energy. So first of all, I am an off-the-wall type A, and I usually am always positive. But I'll tell you, when I went out to get trained at the Deepak Chopra Center, here's what I learned. First, everything is energy. We're 70% water. And our thoughts are energy. And do you know that we have 70,000 thoughts that run through our head on a daily basis and that 85 to 90% of those thoughts are negative? And what happens with those negative thoughts is that they continue to self-perpetuate and a self-perpetuated negative thought that continues creates a negative, a, a limiting belief. And then we live out of those limiting beliefs as if they're real. And so energetically, that can halt us. That can stop us from taking risks. That can stop us from going for the promotion. That can stop us from becoming an entrepreneur. And it's really important to look at the thoughts as energy because the thoughts feed our action. They feed, our, they feed what we say. And it, it really fuels everything that we are about and we do. And, and when you think about companies, you think about the energy of a company, the consciousness of a company is its people. And so if I have people in my company that are not aware that their thinking is energy that feeds their actions, that creates their either positive or negative mindset. So if you're aware of this energy and you know that the negativity is overriding the positivity, how do you, ref- right. how do you refocus that energy? How do you train your brain to work on the positive? Great question. Well, first of all, just that awareness, right? So, so being aware is, is half the battle. But then I like to sometimes say, oh, my gosh, there's so many people that are aware and then they're stuck in awareness. So there, there actually was an HBR article that showed that a lot of people think they are self-aware, but only 10 to 15 percent of those studied, studied actually fit that criteria, of being self-aware. And so first of all, it is becoming self-aware of the negative thoughts and the limiting beliefs that, that live inside of you. And then it's making a deliberate shift, a conscious choice to say, is this thought serving me? What am I committed to? And then making, making an action of what I want to focus on, what I want my mindset to focus on. What do, I want, what do I want out of my life? So it's reframing those thoughts and translating those into words that serve you, serve the purpose, serve the commitment. You know, whether you're in a family, you're in a relationship, you're in a company, and it's a project that we're moving forward on, because we are constantly in the past or the future. Our thinking is always in the past or the future. We're never in the present. Okay. So when you're thinking, you're not present. And so it's, it's really bringing mindfulness in. It's, it's learning how to be mindful, which is what mindfulness is, is paying attention in the present moment without judgment. I mean, it sounds very simple, right? But look yeah. at us. We judge all the time. We are judging. We judge 47% of the time our mind wanders, and we judge every moment of the day. So how do you do that? You just simply watch your thought of judgment and you detach from it. 
you you separate out saying, oh, that's a judgmental thought. And then you come back to being present in the conversation, in your awareness of right now where there's nothing wrong. And then we move whatever needs to be moved forward. So it takes, you know what, this work is like building a new muscle. It is like going to the gym. It's going to the, it's going to the gym for the brain and the mind so that you literally can rewire the brain and rewire your thinking so that it serves you and what you're committed to in your life. Does that make sense? Well, yeah. And, and you brought it up in terms of you said something really interesting and it, that because of these negative thoughts and the energy that we're bringing in, we limit ourselves. So, for example, you know, I've talked to a lot of women who have said, oh, I have this idea for starting a new business, but the kids are too young or but I've got a good oh. job and I'm on a good track or like it, it seems that they're – you know, they, they right. put up these walls for why they can't. So how, yeah. how do you so say... here's what I'd say to those... Here's what yeah. I'd say to that woman. Yeah. I'd say, so what are you committed to? Because you can live a both-end... You can live a both-end life. It's not an either-or. See, even when I opened up my company, do you know how many naysayers said to me, oh my gosh, you're just... You're never going to be able to get married or have kids or do any of that if you open up this company. No, 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 no. I didn't. I chose. I said, no, I'm going to do both-end. I'm committed to being a great mom. I'm committed to being a great... So it's what we choose. And that is exactly that. You just gave me an example of the negative thinking that holds people back. And this, you know, why is because 85 to 90% of us operate day in, day out on the subconscious level. We're not even conscious. We have this mechanical behavior and response mechanism that... We just say, oh, no, the kids are too small and this. But I'm, I would say, wait a minute, what do you want? Because if you really want that, let's work on how you can reframe your thinking, reframe your commitment, and go after it. Because we can be, do, have anything we want in life. I am absolutely convinced of that. But our thinking has to shift, and that is where the energy comes in. And is this also, you mentioned mindfulness, could you could mm-hmm. you talk to us a little bit more about mindfulness and how this can help propel us forward in, in the things we're committed to? So mindfulness, it focuses on the scattered energies of the mind, redirecting the mind to healthier living, problem solving, and inner, you know, really inner healing. Because by nature, we are so reactive and we respond and react out of habit. We don't even know it. And so mindfulness allows us to, it's almost as if we're pressing this pause button before we respond. So there's, there's this great, 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 great quote by Viktor Frankl that says, um, between the stimulus and the response, there's a space. And in that space is our power to choose how we respond. And that is what gives us power. That's what gives us a strong sense of self. So when we are mindful, we are focused. We are focused. We're paying attention to our intentions. And we're letting go of the distractions of the thoughts and the mind and the monkey mind and we're bringing it back to the here and now. So we're literally letting go of the past. We're not perseverating on the future, worried for the future, and we're right in the now. And we're able to then 
be more creative, more innovative. There's more gray matter around the thicker cortexes. The executive function of the brain works better. And so it's, it's really a discipline that when people choose to work on it, their behavioral patterns shift within, you know, 30 to 45 days just from bringing that. Now, meditation is a tool that allows you to become more mindful. But some people will say, I, well, I can't meditate. I can't sit there and I, you know, my thoughts never shut off. Well, if you, if your thoughts shut off, you'd be dead. So thoughts are part of meditating. But you can also be mindful without needing to meditate. I think it's just a lot harder because I think meditating is, is the tool that allows us to become more mindful day in, day out. Do you think that it's, it's mostly, in your experience, that you've seen it's more women who can't be present? Because like, to me, I, I look at the division of labor, and I'm talking about household labor, in mm-hmm. women I've spoken to and men I've spoken to. And it's the women... And I'm talking about um, career women, so women who are, you know, out at work every day or even starting their own companies. But it's them who know when the birthday parties are and when the laundry needs to get done and how many, you know, <laughs> dishes are left before we have to run the dish or whatever it is. I just, and whereas the men seem to have more of a separation of that church and state, the commitment to work when they're at work. And then wonderful fathers and present in the family at home. Um, but it just seems to me that women have a harder time doing the things that you're saying are so critical. The negative energy part, too, I think women tend to take that on themselves. Yes, they get, they get in the drama of their minds and their experience. So, so I would agree with you, but I also don't want it to be a cop-out for women because I think by nature women are doers, right? We are, we are the doers, we do it all, and we do ourselves into our grades. And we do ourselves really into self-implosion too. I mean, that's what happened with me, you know, living on living and operating. And I might add with pride on four hours of sleep, I finally said, well, no one's impressed but myself and I'm not impressed anymore. So uh, to the point at which, you know, until we get dissatisfied with our current way of being, we then get to choose a new way because for me, as an example, I'm responsible for the kids' activities, and that is in my bucket, mm-hmm. even though, you know, I have a husband that is at home, he just doesn't do that stuff. He does other things. So whatever is, whatever buckets we're filling, we can still do those buckets more mindfully and get, get ourselves leveraged. I think the problem that women face the most is that they do not take time for themselves. And they, they, they create the excuse that I have no time. I'm overwhelmed. You, if you hear the self-talk for women, it's a lot of, I don't have time, where a guy will say, yeah, I'll go golfing Friday, sure, or Saturday. Yeah. It, 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 they, just, they just do it. And when we as women just start saying yes to self, to filling our own bucket, you know, that time for ourselves, I think that it allows for more space to open up so that there's not that sense of overwhelm and doing it all. So I would love 
can you teach us how to do this? Like, could you give us and our mm-hmm. listeners some tools? Sure. How, how, how can we be better? How can we do better? Well, okay. So, so let, you know, I mean, here we are on a podcast. I mean, come to my two day retreat, come, you know, let me coach you, but uh, no, this is not a commercial. Okay. Uh, so here's the thing. <laughs> no, but I would, that would no, be taking time for myself. I'm just so myself. serious because yeah. I, this is why the Hollister Institute is alive because I see so much pain in so many people. But yeah. let me teach you one tool, which yes. is your breath. Okay. okay. All right. We all have access to the breath and the breath is what allows us to calm the parasympathetic nervous system, to be able to have more focus and to make good conscious decisions because because of the fact we're operating at the at the subconscious level. So, if you were to put both feet on the ground and sit up okay. kind of tall, your yep. your shoulders are back, okay? Yep. And I want to teach you how to breathe because people don't know how to breathe. So put your right hand on your stomach and your left hand right at your chest. And as you breathe in, taking a deep breath, your right hand should be pushing out. And then I want you to hold the breath for two counts and then breathe out through your mouth for four. Okay. And I want you to now breathe in for four counts as your stomach expands, air's flowing through your chest and your nose. Hold it for two Breathe out for six counts. We're going to do that two more times. So you're taking a deep breath in as your stomach expands for four. You're going to hold the breath for two. Then you're going to exhale through the mouth for six. One more. Breathing in for four. Holding your breath for two counts, breathing out for six. How do you feel? I feel really relaxed, actually. Yeah. Yeah. The breath is our greatest tool. So think about transitioning from work to home. You've had a really stressful day. And... You don't want to bring that stress into the house. So you sit in your car and you do three to four of those deep cleansing breaths, noticing the thoughts, but just bringing your awareness to watching the breath. It's like riding the wave of the breath. You're about to go into a stressful meeting. You don't feel as prepared as you want to be. Take some moments. This is energy. You're, you're, you're focusing on that meeting going impeccably well. You're visualizing what your commitment is. You're feeding the positive thoughts, not the negative. And then you're doing this breathing exercise. So it's mindset. It's focus of thinking combined with your breathing. You're paying attention to what your intention is moment to moment. I mean, I do this all day, every day. No one knows. And that's the other great thing. You can do this practice of mindfulness. You could do it once an hour. <laughs> you could do it before you pick up the phone for a stressful conversation or before you're 
You know, you just read a stressful email. So that practice alone done repeatedly will shift your energy. I feel like that's something I could do. Mm-hmm. That that's just a, a simple tool. And honestly, I feel, I wonder if the people listening are right. doing the, did the breathing as well, because it really, it, so. you can feel a so. difference. How, yeah. I would love to know, and you know, you talk about meditation and how important that is. Mm-hmm. How many minutes a day do I need to carve out to see some benefit from that sort of, like, is it, a, is it an hour a day I need to commit to meditating or? Okay. So first of all, I'm going to correct your language. Oh gosh. Do you see okay. what you're saying? Yes. You're saying neat. Neat. No. There's no okay. need. Not neat. Because if you come at this like something's wrong, there's nothing wrong with you. It's what are you committed to? Okay. So this is, this is when I coach people. I really work on language because your words are a vibration too. They're energy. So if I go into any situation out of need, I'm bringing this needy energy in. So it's, Kip, I'm committed to lowering some of my stress. I like this breathing technique. Tell me how, how if I'm committed to this, what does it look like? So what it looks like is it... I say, if you can do it even five minutes a day, 10 minutes a day, for the brain to literally change, because we now have discovered our brain is neuroplastic, there have been studies that have been done, control group versus a meditators group, where the meditators meditated 10 minutes a day for 30 days, and at the end of that study, their prefrontal cortex, which I call the CEO of your life and your brain and your the essence of your energy, that expanded, the gray matter expanded, and your stress, that amygdala response, that stress amygdala shrunk and shrinks. Really? So yes, yes, yes. In it one is in one month. Wow. In one month. This is this is neuroscientifically proven. And this is why so many people are now getting on the bandwagon, right? I mean, I built my meditation room here at Alster back in 2012. And today, there are more companies signing up for this work and recognizing that, wow, we want to teach people how to effectively communicate mindfully to improve relationships, productivity, profits, morale, culture. But what I say is that even if you said, I have two minutes, then do it two minutes. I mean, anything is better than nothing. So even if you could leave this call and anyone who's listening and say, you know what, can't do that, but here's what I can commit to. I'm going to start doing some of these deep breathing techniques when I get stressed out. Try in traffic. It's a great, great way to practice when you're stuck in traffic or someone just cut you off. And you want to, you know, have a road rage uh, tag with them and just go to breathing. Go to whenever you get stressed, go to the breathing. And then if you want to try meditation on top of that, um, I mean, I think that is wonderful. Best time to do it for me, first time in the morning, because if I say I'm going to put it off, I come home, I kind of prefer the glass of wine with my yeah. husband and dogs in front of the fire <laughs> yes. over, 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 you know, <laughs> meditating. So I know myself. It's the same with working out. Yes, I'm the same way. If I get it done in the morning, it just sets the right tone for my day. 
So literally, we could wake up and carve out five or ten minutes to to the breathing and the meditation. And well, it sounds like the science is proving it will show real results almost immediately. It it does. It does. I would love to ask you too, Kim. Do do you encourage? I, I have young children. I feel like this is something I could teach them as well. The the breathing and the feeling centered. Kids are wonderful with this. They're wonderful because they're so open and they don't have as much garbage in their heads and brains as we do. So often they really quickly can connect with their inner wellness and their source that, that, that power, that power place, right. You know, in their solar plexus. So yes, kids, kids love this. They, I mean, I've, I've done this a ton with kids and, and I know that there are a lot of schools that are incorporating this because there's so many people that are diagnosed with ADHD yeah. and, and this is a way that we can center them and, and they can get in touch with the fact that a lot of their thoughts, they're not good thoughts. I mean, if I had learned about my thoughts at a young age, I think I'd be, I wouldn't have beaten myself up so much, you know? And I feel with all the pressure that kids are under with social media and it's a whole new world out there, that this could be a real tool, not just for us, but for, but for them, for their generation to to find their center and, and their energy right. and really, I, I feel like I'm going to go home tonight and just breathe with my kids. I think that's great. And teaching them to breathe, you know, if they're on the playground and, they, and someone hurts their feelings and they're jump roping and they didn't invite them to look at, wow, what are you making that? That's just what you're thinking. But that thought is just a thought, you know, and then they can follow their breath and that breath can like become their best imaginary friend. That's what I would say. Your breath is always with you and your breath wants the best for you. And just focus on what you want out of your, you know, out of this playground experience. Go play with Johnny, you know. I mean, because it's these early experiences that actually become the defining moments that feed into creation of our limiting beliefs. So if we can work with our kids to share what their thinking was, then we can help them detach from their thoughts and not have it go and create one of those limiting beliefs of I'm unworthy, I'm not good enough, I'm you know the imposter syndrome that so many of us live with. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, I have to say, this has been an unbelievable podcast today. I really appreciate good. what you've taught me personally, and I hope our listeners as well. Um, and I think I'm leaving with two new friends, you, Kip, and my breath. Good. So I really breath. appreciate, right. I really, thank you so much for coming on today and, and for speaking with us. You're so welcome. Thank you. For our listeners and breathers, remember knowledge is power. So share these podcasts with your colleagues and friends. Find past episodes of Lead by Women Will on the Google Events page or wherever you listen to your podcasts. And keep the conversation going on Twitter. Hashtag Lead by Women Will. You can hit me up at Loranda. And now for all of us, time to go smash some ceilings. 